Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. As the entire country knows, Charlie Bird was diagnosed with motor neuron disease in 2021 and despite the horrible implications of that, Charlie got moving. He organised a huge climb of Crow Patrick and wrote Climb with Charlie, which is available everywhere and still raising funds for the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and Pieta. Now, as you may know, Charlie communicates through a notebook and a software programme, so that's part of what you're going to be hearing. We are joined in the studio by Charlie Bird, his wife Claire, and their dog Tiger. Good afternoon to you all. Hi, how are you? Uh, so I suppose, Charlie, we'll start with asking health-wise, how are you doing at the moment? Sean, every day I'm facing a challenge. My voice has gone and that is why I'm talking to you with my voice banker. My swallow is the major issue for me now and every meal I sit down to is a challenge for me. To be honest, I'm now living each day at a time. My goal now is hopefully to get to next Christmas and after that next May when I would hopefully still be around to see Bruce Springsteen in concert in Dublin. Sean, every day I'm facing a challenge. Are you getting a bit sick, though, of people asking you that question all the time? No, I'm not sick of anyone asking me anything. I went public with my diagnosis because I was in broadcasting and I wasn't going to hide. In the end, by some miracle, going public led to climb with Charlie and that now has reached an almost staggering figure of three and a half million euro raise for the two charities Pieta, the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association. And obviously people are asking the question because basically they love you, Charlie. Is it the same question? And no doubt it's being asked to you as well, Claire, all the time. Yeah, how we're getting on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Like, for example, when we went to Beaumont Hospital, they said eventually one day you'll come to terms with this. And I think that is what we're doing. Like we're trying to come to terms with this and trying to live every day and yeah, live in the present, I think, Sean, is what we're trying to do. You yeah. Know? Is that difficult to do? Um, it is difficult because, you know, er, people see Charlie as an inspiration and he is. But when you're at home, I know he goes, <laughs> not, I'm, not, no. <laughs> I'm not an inspiration. He is. But, you know, it's like when you're at home with your wife, your partner, you know, you see the day to day. So Charlie struggles every day, you know, with his eating and mm. people don't see that. So it is always a struggle that, you know, if you're going to actually choke and not actually be able to remove the food. So it is always a worry for us. And obviously now because Charlie is, you know, as we say, nonverbal, it's it's very difficult to communicate. So our normal way, you know, when you go home, you'd be mm. able to have a dinner, have the chats, yeah. say how you got on with Charlie Bird today. But when myself and Charlie sit down and have our meal, Charlie can't talk because, you know, he's trying to focus on his food and all the rest. So it, it's a very different way of communicating. We have to yeah. write everything down. Um, it's just not the same. Yeah, of but course. we've learned how to adapt. That's because Charlie has a notebook here in front of him, uh, yeah. as well as an iPad. So it, 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 sometimes, can it? Do that's, you even need to write something down? Can you can you know Claire tell just by a look in your eye that you're saying something? Well, he'll yeah. start writing something, and I'll know what it is. Yeah, yeah. So we do know. Once yeah. he starts, I go. You want a gin? Okay, I know what you're asking <laughs> for. I know, and that's usually every evening. Special gin sign. We Claire, do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So how important has it been to put purpose to all this with the climb in the book? That is a good question. I never planned climb with Charlie. In a moment maybe of madness, I told Ryan Tuberty that I wanted to climb Crow Patrick with some of my former colleagues from RTE. And then the whole thing took off with people from all over Ireland and abroad wanting to climb mountains, hills and even stairways with me. I have said this before I have felt that some spirit has been guiding me both with the climb and then with book. 
But the two really important things for me, firstly, I want to raise awareness for the work that both charities do. And secondly, I want to shine a light on the suffering that many people are going through. You might find this a glib remark, but while I'm still alive, I want to extend the hand of friendship to everyone. No, that's not a glib remark uh, at all. I did want to, because you're Charlie Bird, apart from talking about motor neuron disease, <coughs> you're, uh, like you're a, uh, you are a legendary figure in Irish journalism, whether you like it or not. Uh, so, like, right at the start, in the 60s and 70s, you were involved with the Young Socialists and official Sinn Féin. Um, and I do remember, actually, once when you were on Gondas, we found a picture of you with, the, uh, uh, with a raised fist. Mm. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but since then, have your politics changed? Have they remained the same? What kind of an Ireland would you like to see? In a way, you are asking me about my politics. I have never hidden the fact that in the mid to late 60s, I was like many people at the time involved in what I call street politics. The Vietnam War, the anti-apartheid movement, the burning of Catholic families' homes in Belfast. I was a big fan on Dr. Noel Brown, who was in the Labour Party. I joined the Young Socialists, then the Labour Party. I joined official Sinn Féin because Tony Heffernan, who grew up with me on the same street, was a member, so was there for a short time. But the thing that really caught my attention was the housing situation in Dublin. And in the mid to late 60s, that was a big issue in Dublin. Thankfully I hopefully had a social conscience, I've always tried to live my life that way. Well when I started my career in journalism, I wasn't carrying my politics on my sleeve. In RTE clearly I was involved in covering what we call the troubles, it is not an expression that I particularly like. I have said this before and I mean this from the bottom of my heart and it will be my dying wish I want peace to remain on this island, people to continue to live by the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement. It is interesting, though, that what brought you into uh, um, left politics was the housing crisis. Uh, how, thi- how little things have changed. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Has, has politics changed? You think he's got more lefty as he's, as he's gone on, Claire? I don't think his politics have changed. I mean, even though Charlie can't speak, he still writes down, he still will rant, he'll still listen to the news, watch er- Channel 4 News, BBC, RTE, reads every single paper. And yeah, no, Charlie's politics haven't changed. Yeah. We have a great photo of him. I know, with the when he was, I think you're about 18, Bird, was it? It was at a funeral, I think. Wasn't I don't know, it? Yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I know. Very yeah. good looking when he was younger. Yeah. <laughs> He's good looking he now, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to write down what do you, what do you think of Boris Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> this may be a very short answer, I'm, sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm starting to suspect. Yeah. What did he say? Yeah, I'm delighted he's gone. Yeah, uh, is the answer that. That's probably <laughs> most people would vote for that. I think yeah. at the moment. So, like, well, well, talk about the early days. How did you come to join RTE, and and was it a very different place then? And in what ways? Well, I was working in the Irish Times Library for a couple of years. My baller Colin worked in RTE and on the soap topless row, so I knew a lot of people in Montrose. Again, I have said this before, Owen Harris, who was a current affairs producer, was in the Irish Times Library one day and we were chatting and asked me if I was interested in becoming a current affairs researcher at RTE, so I told him I was and the rest is history. I joined seven days as a researcher before I moved to the newsroom as a reporter. I spent a short while working with Gabo on the Late Late Show. Of course, it was a different place then. There were no commercial radio stations and no competition on the television front either. Listen, all media has changed now. How many people are getting their news from so many different sources? Yes, I am really worried about the future of public service broadcasting. 
I'm more that happy that we have commercial broadcasting here, but something has to be done to financially protect public service broadcasting. And no one up to now has had the courage to deal with the issue of the license fee. Sean, I'm even worried about the future of the newspaper industry. Yeah, and uh, Charlie just uh, handed me a note there saying that the thing doesn't translate all, all words correctly. Oh, I think yeah. that was Tolka Row when it came uh, out as Topless Row, uh, which yeah. was a completely different programme. much more exciting show, I'd say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so... <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I suppose one of the one of the many highlights of your career was that, that you were the main point of contact between uh, the IRA and RTE. How was that relationship built up? And like, did they choose you? Was there a wooing process involved there? My job as a contact between RTE and the IRA was not my decision. The simple background underneath the surface there were the rumblings of the peace people. The great John Hume was working so hard behind the scenes. Jerry Adams got his visa to go to America. So with that as the background my boss at the time Joe Mulholland wanted the station to get some understanding of what was going on beneath the surface of the peace process. Only recently did I discover that Tommy Gorman suggested my name. Now I did know that he helped me set up the contact. No, I did not court them. Other journalists working for other stations abroad also had contact with the IRA from time to time. So I ended up having contact with four different IRA sources for around 11 years as the peace process developed. That's, uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder, was that ever scary? Uh, at times. Uh, <laughs> I think we all know what the answer to that was. And I, and I know it was a very scary time uh, on that Love Ulster march uh, when that fella assaulted you, but uh, the, the irony of calling you, uh, you know, an orange bastard or whatever he called yeah. you was... An orange bastard. Uh, yeah, was, was, it. Uh, uh, was kind of a bit rich. Now, another must have been very stressful time now, obviously the, the National Irish Bank story and uh, the Beverly Cooper Flynn story, but the court cases, how <laughs> stressful were they for you at the time? Well, Sean, I still have a slight nervous twitch and it is not motor neuron. The National Irish Bank story and then the story relating to Beverly Cooper Flynn were among the biggest stories I was involved in. Myself and George Lee were named journalists of the year after the National Irish Bank story. The Irish taxpayer were saved millions of pounds. But the libel trial involving Beverly Cooper Flynn was one of the longest single libel trials in the history of the state. Yes, it was very stressful. I lost a lot of weight during it. But we won, and I think Beverly ended up with legal bills of over two million. The main thing for me is that it was good for journalism and public service broadcasting. Afterwards I offered to shake hands with Beverly, but she rejected my offer. But today I would be more than willing to shake hands with her again. As I have said I want to extend the hand of friendship to everyone, that including Beverly. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if she did actually uh, uh, do that now? Uh, now, another, I know, it was, was it two, two or three years uh, you were in Washington. Mm. Now, you, you didn't enjoy it because I think you missed your kids and you missed Claire. Uh, in retrospect, though, does this, does, did Washington seem like a more civilised place then than it is now? Well, Sean, I did enjoy the 18th months in Washington. My big mistake, and I have said this repeatedly, I should never have gone there in the first place. In a way, I was fed up standing outside Kildare Street chasing politicians up and down the street. But the 18 months in Washington coincided with the first period of the Obama presidency. And during that period, my first grandchild was born, Charlie Jr. I was in a relationship with Claire, who is now my wife. But I will never forget covering Obama's inauguration with over one million people crowded onto the mall. It was an exciting time to be in Washington. 
Yes, Washington is a different place today as is the rest of the United States. I am genuinely worried what is happening in America now the way the extreme right are controlling the country. The Trump effect in my opinion is very dangerous and I am really concerned what is going to happen in the United States in the coming years. Uh, right. Uh, was it difficult for you, Claire, uh, uh, Charlie, being in Washington or just hearing off on various stories around well, the place? Well, do you know, when Charlie went to Washington, I had a great boss at the time who I work in RT as a producer and he used to, every kind of six weeks, we used to to and fro and I'd make up all the hours the other end and work the weekend so I could go over and see him. So we made it work. And in fairness, when you know, I think that kind of really sealed our relationship that we knew if we could make it work, Bird being in America, yeah. me over here. I know a lovely love story. Yeah, but um, no, it did work, and uh, yeah, I toot and froed. Yeah. as did Bird. Yeah, I that, I, actually, that is interesting because people often say long distance relationships don't work, but it can be the making of a relationship I, I think if so. you're prepared to put uh, in the work to yeah, do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we used to have the crack when we were in America. So Charlie and myself, you know, we love cycling and hiking and all that. And when we used to go to Washington, we used to <laughs> cycle to Mount Vernon, which was like a thirty k. Cycle wow. in 90 degrees heat and this guy would try and race me to get to the top. <laughs> I would usually not get to the top ahead. Well, once I did and we used to try and push each other off the bikes. But yeah, no, we used to have a great time in America. So, you know, it was brilliant when Bird came home. But yeah, there was yeah. still good things. Yeah. Now you call him Bird. Does, do most people call him Bird? I think I've always called him Bird. My maiden name is Mould. So he used to call me Mould and he was Bird, <laughs> Mouldy Bird. But um, yeah, I've always called him that. I rarely call him Charlie. I know. Uh, now, the most important question, uh, why did Dick Spring kick you in the shin? <laughs> He's an Great idea. question. Why did Dick Spring kick me in the shin? Sean can't remember why and believe me, I'm not trying to evade your question. I covered Dick Spring a lot when he was the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Deputy Prime Minister. He was a bit of a character and he would often joke with me. <coughs> to be honest I liked Dick Spring but irrespective of that I still had to do my job and often had to ask the hard and difficult questions. And if I recall correctly during one of those interviews he gave me a slight tap on the shin. It certainly wasn't a malicious kick but more poking a bit of fun. Indeed, I can recall at one stage betting with him on the possibility of a resignation of the Attorney General. I can't recall now what the outcome of the bet was, but I put the money in a picture frame and gave it to him. Hell, maybe he still has the money. <laughs> yeah, he, he is a bit of a character, right? It must be said. Now, you're, you're obviously very close to Claire uh, and your daughters and your grandchildren. Has the diagnosis changed your relationships with any other family members? Yes, my diagnosis has brought us all closer together. The first thing to be said is that my wife Claire is travelling every step of the road with me. And I need her every day to be with me. It is tough for all of us. But the amazing thing about the climb of Krog Patrick was that my family were with me. And while it was emotional for me, it was very comforting that my five grandchildren were able to be with me. And in the book there are amazing photographs of my grandchildren being with me at the top of the mountain. It is a great comfort to me and for the rest of my family as well. It might sound strange that I say this, but another comforting thing for me is my dog Tiger. He is with me every day and he also helps me get through the tough time. I had often heard people talk about the love of their pet, now I fully understand the way they help people emotionally. My God I could not survive now without Tiger being by my side, I know Claire feels the same way. And uh, that is one very well-behaved dog. Tiger's just sitting in the corner there, just having a little uh, um, nap for herself. That's that's great. Now, uh, I suppose the question, you may have been asked this before, 
do you have any spiritual beliefs, any religious beliefs? And at this stage of your life, are you tempted to have any? Well, I'm not a practicing Catholic, but in a way I am spiritual. I have always believed in the goodness of people and in good karma. And since my diagnosis, I have received hundreds of mass cards and I have received them in the spirit they were sent to me. I now have a great friend who is a priest. Father Charlie MacDonald, who is the administrator of the parish in Westport, has now become a great friend of myself and Claire. And again he has blessed my myself and Claire and we have accepted those blessings in the spirit they were given. Knowing that I have a terminal illness, yes, has put all sorts of thoughts in my head and they are comforting for me. Has it changed your view of the universe? What happens after we die, Claire? Not really, actually, to be honest. I know mm. it, it hasn't. I don't think so at all. No. I mean, as Charlie said, like, we're not religious, but mm. I would be spiritual. But um, no, it hasn't. I mean, initially, when Charlie got his diagnosis, he started talking about where he'd like to be buried. And that used to really upset me. But now, mm. you know, we accept it because a lot of people know where they're going to be buried. Yeah. And Charlie wants to get buried on Inishir and that's going to be his resting place but I could be there before him so I think you know we live the day every day we live present day and um, yeah we'll just see we'll see we mm. just, yeah I don't look towards the future that much now to yeah. be honest Sean and, and you know there must be dark times what gives you comfort in those dark periods I think the periods were much darker initially they were and you know I mean it was October 23rd when Charlie got his diagnosis and it was devastating and I think we cried every single day and I would have my own moments where I would cry and not let Charlie see it. But I think as the months and the weeks have gone on, you know, we're getting used to this is this is our life. This mm. is the way we have to live. And we make every day, every day I get up and say, bird, we're going to get up and do something. And, you know, we went for a lovely walk up and we live up in Wicklow and we went out to Lara the other day and we just we love being out in nature. And it was great just to have a bit of downtime because it has been a whirlwind. We just haven't stopped. I mean, the climb, the book, the documentary, Charlie's writing another book. So I just said we need some time out. So I think the two of us, yeah, it's good to just chill, I think is yeah. the word I'm okay. trying to do at the moment. Another book? Ah, yeah, he's got another one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about this one first. <laughs> yes. Well, climb with, climb with Charlie's like been out. It's just, a stunning book. It is a beautiful yeah. book, yeah. But just a few weeks. But uh, So there's it's another in the works. Yeah. yeah. Time and Tide. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is more a look back in your life kind of uh, scenario, right? Yeah. Okay, great. We'll be uh, back. You'll be back <laughs> uh, to plug the next book. Uh, so Charlie, what gives you comfort? What gives me comfort? Well, the love of my family and the great support from my friends as well. But the whole support from everyone during Climb with Charlie has lifted me so much. It is hard to describe, but I have received thousands of letters, cards and messages of support from all over the country. and They have lifted my spirits and they have given me great comfort. Sean, if I can say this, I am not the only one traveling this journey. I have got to know Vicky Phelan, who is a remarkable human being. And there are many people out there who have terminal illnesses and others who are in dark places. And I want to give my support and love to them as well. I have been told countless times that I am an inspiration. I believe the real inspirations are the thousands and thousands of people who supported Climb with Charlie and all the people who extended the hand of friendship to me. That book is called Climb with Charlie. It's still in all the bookshops and you can look out for time and tide uh, in the not too distant future, uh, Charlie. Uh, uh, well, I just uh, want to say thanks to all of you, Claire and Charlie and uh, uh, Tiger, particularly for being such a good dog uh, through all this. Thank you all very much. Uh-uh. Thanks a million. Uh-uh. 
Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.